You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 364, we're discussing the Flash Fallout Secret Invasion Episode 1 and that phenomenal Craven trailer. I'm one of your host, Tim. And I'm Ian. Ian, my brother, we got a lot to talk about this week, including some follow-up from last week's Flash review. We had the goddamn Batman on to talk about the now floundering Flash movie. And we're also going to talk about Secret Invasion. The MCU is back in front of our eyeballs with a, for me at least, a highly anticipated show over on Disney Plus titled Secret Invasion. And we're also going to talk about the Craven trailer. Maybe I was being a bit facetious with Phenomenal in front of that in the episode title, but we will, of course, get into that. And maybe a little bit of Superman legacy casting talk as well. But Ian, my good buddy. Before we get into any of that, how are you doing this evening? Good, man. Yeah, I'm good. It's uh, still morning for me. Nice and hot here in sunny Japan. Humidity is is kicking off nice and early this year. Um, so yeah, I'm in another room with the aircon on full blast. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a good week, man. Like I thought after last week, you know, with the Flash and Spider Verse dropping at the same time, you know, sharing the mic with uh, Carlos, I thought you know that. You wouldn't be able to top it, but this this, this week's been uh, it's been pretty eventful, man. There's been a lot of stuff coming out. I've kind of caught up on a few shows, um, some yeah, some biggies that came out last week uh, with the the bear. I don't know if you watch that show; it's absolutely fantastic. So that kind of blew me away. Got to see Spider Verse again. Picked up some toys. So it's been a it's been an eventful week, man. It's been good. That's amazing, man. It's amazing to hear you getting out and about, seeing Spider-Verse again. It took number one at the box office. It shoved the Flash down, I think, to number three at the box office behind that. And Elemental had a bit of a comeback week, that last or latest Pixar movie. But, man, we're going to talk right now. We're going to pick up some of the threads from last week's Flash review. As we got into a lot of discussion there about the movie, we didn't quite get to address the fallout from it. And now that we have a bit better look at this, because it has gone through its second weekend at the box office, and as expected, I would say, it had a pretty rough weekend at the domestic box office, dropping about 72% from what it pulled in the week previous, which was substantially underneath the projected amount or even the desired amount for a movie of this scale of this magnitude. And what we're going to talk about here is kind of what that indicates or what that's pointing towards for the comic book movie genre Mm -hmm. and maybe more so for for DC. There's a couple of words. I used the term F word last week, and that's not that F word, but (laughs) fatigue, comic book fatigue. (laughs) Is that a real thing? Talk about maybe some of the the effects or the root causes for The Flash, but also mm-hmm. going to take a little bit of a more analytical approach to it. We can throw our opinions out there, what we think happened. Was it Ezra Miller? Was it this? Was it the marketing? Was it that? But let's look at this thing maybe a bit more analytically before we get into the opinion part of it. Now, two things that we're going to look at from a finite number perspective. One, the box office, which is really a reflection of 
for the most part, the GA's interest and drive to see this movie, especially with the second weekend. Not a lot of repeat viewings, not a lot of people running out to see this because of solid or robust word of mouth. And the other thing we're going to look at also is cinema scores. Now, this is something that was introduced to me by Carlos, and it's a bit more of an aggregate approach to an overall movie's appeal as opposed to a finite opinion on something from, say, a critic or a fan base or anything like that. So Rotten Tomatoes, we're kind of setting aside. We're not going to really look at that anymore. It's very difficult to gauge all of that. But we are going to look at the cinema scores in a relative sense. And just to give a little framework to cinema scores, so I pulled. So there's this card that these this company that aggregates these scores gives out to people. So they go to a handful of cities throughout North America and they hand out a card that has six questions on it. And the questions are, would you buy this movie on DVD or Blu-ray? Would you rent this movie on Blu-ray or video on demand? What are your reasons for attending this movie? And there's a couple answers there. Like, is it the actor? Is it the type of film? Is it the director? Is it the subject matter? And then it asks people to give a grade. It asks your gender and it asks your age. So six simple questions and you essentially kind of circle these up and they pull these together. They factor in things like when they are doing them on Friday versus Sunday, people on Friday are generally more excited, more into the movies. So that factors into how they score these things and then spits out a number, a letter grade on the other side. And like I said, it's more about measuring the movies appeal to theater audiences than measuring the actual innate quality of it from a say, film critic perspective. So it's a little bit different than stuff we're a bit more normalized to with the likes of Rotten Tomatoes and all that. And so what it really kind of shows is anything that gets an A or above inside of a cinema score is viewed as a very appealing movie, broadly appealing movie. Anything in a B or below is kind of like, eh, not so much. And anything below a B is like, okay, we're going to toss this like, maybe it shouldn't even have been made to give a relative sense. And so, some movies that have achieved this A to A plus in the last couple of years, No Way Home, The Batman, Wakanda Forever, and this year, Across the Spider-Verse and Guardians of the Galaxy. So these have all been your A's. Your lower end performers are the likes of The Flash, Black Adam, Morbius got a C plus, Thor 4 got a B, Multiverse of Madness got a B plus. So they're all kind of kind of sitting in this like secondary echelon. So it's kind of an interesting gauge to look at on on this. And when you compare that relative to box office numbers, and I'm going to try to simplify this out, what we're seeing in general sense, and I plotted this on a graph that I'll also post online, is that movies that have that A plus cinema score rating generally are doing much better at the box office, which is essentially a reflection of quality. And quality seems to matter more and more and more as these movies progress further and further into these shared universes. But it's not the only factor, but it seems to be emerging as a big factor. Now, with the likes of things, if we shift a bit more towards the the DC part of this discussion, you know, we have this kind of support through analytics that quality matters right now. People, moviegoers, and I think you'd agree in, the quality is a big factor now for getting repeat viewings and getting that bigger box office run, these legs, as we've called it in the past, inside of the box office. Yeah, I I think so, too. I think it was really interesting. You showed me that graph um, last week, and I, you know, I, I didn't really think about it too much before. Like, there's so many little factors I think could have made a difference. 
um, and that contributed to the the kind of downfall of of this movie. Um, but especially, you know, just seeing those cinema scores, um, not I didn't really know how they kind of uh, you know decided on those scores, and it's really interesting to see to hear you know how they determine what constitutes a B and what constitutes an A. Um, but it's really interesting to see how that has had a major effect on on the quality of the the um, the popularity of those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely think that's that's the case. You know, I was thinking about it recently, and you know, going back to my teenagers or even younger, you know, I used to look for movie reviews all the time when I went to see a movie. You know, I wasn't able to rush out and see every single movie. And, you know, even as a kid, I know my parents would do the same. You'd get magazines and you'd get newspaper articles and you'd see those, you know, A's and B's. And that would help determine what movie you would actually go to the cinema to Mm -hmm. see, especially with families and the general audience that they're not going to see every single movie. And, you know, the going to the cinema is actually quite a big event these days because people have so much access to stuff at home. So the fact is people pick and choose based on other people's opinions, you know, based on yeah. the opinions of the critics. And, uh, you know, I don't think we actually realize how strong of an impact those reviews do have and, and how strong of an impact things like word of mouth have. A lot of people like to be told kind of what to think these days. That's why things like YouTube and TikTok are so huge. You know, people like to be told what's good and what's not good. And people tend to follow the kind of general opinions. So I can understand how, especially after seeing that that graph, definitely share that online, you know, how those scores do definitely coincide with the success of these movies. Yeah, and they're not they're the nice thing about them that I, I like about like the box office and the cinema score. And the cinema score is a bit more impactful, I think, for that second, third, fourth, and overall box office run indicator. I don't think it's as strong of an indicator of the opening weekend because it that those those opinions aren't factoring into that, right? That's more the marketing, that's more of the appeal of the brand, the appeal of the character, potentially the director. If you have a Nolan in there or you have someone like Tom Cruise coming up with Mission Impossible or mm-hmm. a franchise, that factors into the first weekend. Uh, less so the cinema scores and all the cinema scores is kind of a reflection of the quality of the movie. And then it will ultimately, it seems to align to a degree with the overall performance in the long run. Like Avatar was an A, Top Gun Maverick was an A, like you, those big, big movies all sit. And it's like, it's a pretty clear trend, actually. The Flash will sit right at the bottom of this trend. And so I will share that online. And it's, it's fascinating. Like you said, there's a lot more little factors that influence the quality and influence the performance of a movie. But mm-hmm. this seems to generally align with the idea that quality matters for the long run, not necessarily for the opening weekend. And so that's one of the things that with the flash that it's a bit harder to gauge. I think with the cinema score, you could probably have guessed that it was not going to perform well. And it's likely not even to get much past a hundred million dollars domestically, which is like a, a horrendous performance for a movie of this scale and this scope inside of an established universe. Yeah. But when you look at the broader DC and we'll also talk about Marvel because Marvel's not escaping this either. But when you look at the broader DC, they have really struggled since the Batman. The Batman performed very well at the box office. It had a really great cinema score. But then when you look at the, the next things that came out, Black Adam, Shazam 2, The Flash, like it, it's had a really tough go over the last couple of years or last couple of releases. And I don't see that letting up 
with Aquaman. Blue Beetle might shine a little bit, but I do worry about the DC brand right now. Is yeah. it a DC brand problem that all of the last films that have come out, even with Black Adam, it had The Rock behind it, probably the most powerful marketing machine on the planet, like single point of contact marketing machine on the planet. And that movie grossly underperforms. And so it, like one of the questions before we get to like the F word question is the DC brand, does it have a problem? Do you think like the thing that the thing I struggle with just to kind of frame this out for myself is that, you know, I don't, I don't see the general audience saying like, Oh, Ezra Miller had these problems. Therefore we've boycotted the flash or, you know, the DCEU as being rebooted. So I don't care about these movies anymore. Honestly, I do not think the GA care or know about a lot of that stuff. So I don't see that being a major influence on the brand of DC. So like, what do you think? This is where we're moving into the opinion piece. What do you think is going on with the DC brand? And can it be revived by James Gunn with the DCU? Uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. I do think, I think the flash is a little bit slightly, slightly different. I do think for a movie to be as unsuccessful, uh, unsuccessful as it is, um, <laughs> it's, I think there are a lot of factors that kind of play into that. And I do think some of those things that you brought up about Ezra, um, probably played a, a, a minor uh, had a minor impact on, on the success of the movie. I do think there were people, I did see people on Twitter saying that they weren't going to see this movie and that's going to be a very, very small percentage of people. Mm -hmm. You know, you do get the people who are the same kind of people who didn't watch Miss um, Marvel because she's a Muslim uh, character. You know, you have a non-binary lead and you're going to have people who would be turned off by that. You know, that's that's just the, the world that we live in. Um you know, I think there are other factors such as Keaton. Like I always thought Keaton was going to bring people in. Actually, mm -hmm. after thinking about it, you know, and after hearing people talking about it, Keaton just wasn't a big draw for people because he wasn't most people's Batman. You know, most people see Christian Bale as their Batman or one of the, you know, someone newer, like even a, a Pattinson. Um, so I think, you know, there were lots of things there that didn't bring people in, uh, maybe turn people off. Um, but I do think there is also a big there is a big issue with the DC brand because of the past movies that we've been getting. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when it comes to someone like The Flash, who's in the Justice League. You know, just yesterday, my brother sent me a message like, you know, should I actually go and see The Flash in the movie theater? Because um, I've been hearing bad things about it. And he's kind of, he didn't really like Ezra's portrayal of Barry in the Justice League, in the Whedon version. Mm -hmm. And that's the only version he's seen. And I think that's the only version most people have seen. You know, most people, even the general audience who have seen these DC movies have only seen, you know, Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, and that version of the Justice League. And I think that's had like a big impact on this you know this story this part of the dc universe yeah. but then you take something like the joker and you take something like the batman and how successful they are and it just i think that does show that people are interested in 
you know, these individual stories. They are interested in these individual characters. Um, I just think it's probably these versions of the characters that people have no interest in. It. And mm -hmm. they're kind of also, they look very similar. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of stylized in a very similar way. And I think people kind of put the, make these connections and think these are from the same universe. Um, and it's... it's yeah, it's an they... interesting point about like the universe piece that that you're you're touching on there, and like I think this is where maybe Marvel's suffering a little bit is that you know because and I didn't like factor this in so much, but like we have to remember the concept of the shared universe that Marvel brought to the table has been around since 2008 ish, right? And so you know we're we're driving towards 15 years of this style of movie watching, which is like you know for some people it's been their whole lives like for your your younger population now and other people it's been you know a good chunk of their lives where this style of movie watching and different universes or different studios trying to mimic this with the success of the MCU so this connected universe idea is something that i didn't really appreciate how many people probably grew up with this and how we've all been sort of trained into this and when you fall behind or you don't like something like if the last movie that people saw was in 2017, the Justice League, and then we're being—they're being asked to return for a few other movies, but specifically, kind of the Flash here. You know, are people going to be like, ah, "I haven't seen anything. I don't know what's going on. I have no interest in this." Like, maybe that's an underappreciated thing from at least myself because I thought I saw like, ah, you know, it's a big tent pole. It looks cool. Batman's in it. A couple Batman are in it. You know, people just look past that shared universe thing and, and just ignore the fact that they haven't, but maybe it's become so ingrained in us that, that the, the even the GA, cause I talked to other friends and they're kind of like, yeah, I haven't caught up on things. I haven't watched all the, all the Disney plus shows. So I can't go see, you know, Ant-Man three or guardians three. Like I haven't just haven't caught up on everything. Like, so I can't see it. So I'm just going to wait and yeah. maybe they'll catch up on it in two, three years. So that impact maybe isn't appreciated as much that shared universe aspect that like that training that we've all gone through for almost 15 years on, on how to consume franchise films. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, like you, you say, they're like people saying that they'll wait. And I think that's also another thing Like people don't care about waiting so much these days. Like, mm -hmm. it's just that idea of like, you know, black Adam, even like other franchises, like fast X came out two weeks after it's cinema release on mm -hmm. VOD. And I think a lot of people, thinking like, you know, I don't know much about this or, you know, I don't really have that much of a connection with this. They might want to see it. You know, I know my brother's definitely going to watch Flash at some point, but he's just thinking, you know, should I just wait a few weeks? Should I just wait a few months, which is no time at all, and just watch it on Amazon Prime or, you know, mm -hmm. Disney Plus. And I think that's also, a, you know, a factor that, you know, people have, have so much to watch and they're they're surrounded by all these different things that they they can't catch up on that there's no real uh, sense of urgency for them to have the russian and see these these movies mm -hmm. on the big screen i guess yeah and it begs the question you know we'll, we'll get into it here the idea of comic book movie or superhero fatigue and or is there just too much of it you know in every given year we're having you know between six to eight comic book movies plus shows on top of that and even for me personally like i i don't i can't watch all this stuff i can't get to the movie theater to see everything like i'm lucky if i get like it took me three or four weeks to get to guardians and you know i i think that 
the idea of just too much, you know, I don't, if fatigue's the right word, I don't know, but too much of everything is where we, we're living in a world of, of plenty, right? We're living in a world of indulgence where yeah. there's just so much available to us. Like even like we, we've talked about it and chronicled it over the last couple of weeks, the amount of films that are in there. But when you start looking at things, it, it's just, there's just too much of stuff. And it, it begs the question, you know, what is the answer? You know, Marvel, you know, they, their quality has, has dipped, you know, you can go, it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit, but arguably their quality has dipped across the board here. They still performed very well in 2022 with Thor four, Wakanda forever and multiverse of madness, all pushing up close to a billion dollars a piece. And it wasn't really till we got to 2023 with Ant-Man three and it underperforming and it didn't do terrible next to its predecessor, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, and then Guardians of the Galaxy has done really well, but it did really well because of good word of mouth. People were saying, you have to go see Guardians. Like everyone was, I have to finish out this trilogy. So there was there was a drive from the GA to complete watching this and from good word of mouth, people saying it was emotional, it was good, one of the best. And so that that begs the question is like, you know, can a string of okay films damage the mcu brand or has that brand itself you know we talked about dc has a marvel brand been damaged and then we'll talk maybe after that about you know where where it's going given some of the stuff we talked about last week with or the week before with all the delays and the films and everything but you know has has the recent phase four into early phase five has that has that damaged the mcu brand uh yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I think, like, thinking back, even in the early days of the MCU, there was a period of time where there was a bit of fatigue and there was a bit mm -hmm. of a dip and people kind of were saying, like, we're getting too many superhero movies or people weren't really that as interested in seeing them. And they did a, they did something where, I don't know, I don't know how they did it. They made changes. They made these new stories. They made people more invested in these characters. They upped their quality and they brought people back in. And I think, you know, it can be done. Um, but I do think that we are seeing fatigue. And I um, do think we are seeing some damage even to the MCU. Um, and I mean, we'll talk about it with when we talk about Secret Invasion, but like, you know, even Secret Invasion, I think they're saying it's the second least watched uh, premiere for an MCU mm -hmm. show. And that's crazy. Like if you because a lot of people say, you know, there's no star power behind a movie like The Flash. But then you do have star power behind Black Adam. You have star power behind Secret Invasion. You have some of the biggest movie stars out there right, mm -hmm. in Secret Invasion. And people are, aren't even rushing to see that. So I do think there has been, uh, you know, there is some kind of fatigue. There has been some damage. I also think with superhero movies, there's a strange thing with them where people do become very connected and invested in certain characters. And I think that's yeah. one thing that Guardians does well is people were very invested in these characters uh, because of the past movies and they do want to see their story play out and they do want to see their stories mm -hmm. wrap up. Um, that's why something like a Spider-Man will always be very popular because people are very invested in that, that movie and mm. just seeing how successful, you know, across the Spider-Verse has been. And even in Japan, like people love Spider-Man and he's everywhere. Like they're really promoting it. Um, but you don't see that as much with someone like The Flash who people don't have such a, a connection with. And I think with the MCU now, a lot of the characters that we are left with are people yeah. that are characters that people have no real kind of connection to. Uh, that people don't really know as much about. We're getting newer versions of characters, but 
you know, all those big time characters that people were very, you know, in love with, um, we kind of lost with with Endgame and and some of the uh, the previous movies. So again, I think people have lost that kind of need for an invest their investment in these movies. Uh, so that could be a big problem too. And I think that's why with the the you know uh, James Gunn uh, DCU, I do think he has the ability to bring people back. You know, we've talked about this before, where he's very good at making mm-hmm. you care about characters and i think that's something that he he will do um i think you know there'll be big changes in the way these movies look and the way that they're presented and i think they're gonna have to make them stand out and be very different than the dceu mm-hmm. stuff so i do think he will bring people back and i do think he's playing with two major characters superman and batman and i do think it'd be very hard for people to lose their investment in those two characters. So I do think there is that ability for people to return to a new universe as long as they make it very clear this is something new, this is something separate, this is something very individual, and here's a new version of these characters. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, we've seen castings now. I think they're going to do a really good job at, you know, making these characters likable again, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's actually a, a phenomenal point that you you bring there is the investment in characters because if you look back through the last couple of years you know you can pretty much tally your way through this and say you know no way home huge investment in spider-man and those legacy characters you get in a multiverse of madness you're getting a little bit of spider-man hangover with all of that thor 4 does okay wakanda forever does really well people are really invested in that black panther story you get to morbius and black adam and people these are new characters we're not really invested in this you know, the quality isn't there. Batman, people are invested. Here we go. MN3, same problem. Shazam 2, The Flash, no investment. Guardians across the Spider-Verse, the two highest performing comic book movies of this year. People are heavily invested in these things. And so it seems that it's coming out to, uh, there's two factors here that, you know, quality of a movie, which is we discussed through the analytics, your point about investment in the character and slash, I say investment in the universe. I say people are substantially less invested in the mcu story than they were pre-endgame people were heavily invested in those characters and that story it's not there right now and i think this the the third piece of this puzzle is potentially the event style of film watching we've talked about this in the past that with all of these films the ones that are sticking out even into this year are more events like your Top Gun Mavericks, your Avatars, Guardians 3, Across the Spider-Verse. People are going out for these bigger events. And so one of the solutions to this is to really spread some of these movies out. The fact that we're getting 6 to 8 to 10, that's like one a month of these comic book movie genre films, it's it's almost too much. And then you layer that on with everything else. And I think we're starting to see this with the MCU, with DC. We're going to see bigger breaks between these films like after the marvels we don't see an mcu film an mcu proper film like we get deadpool in may of next year but an mcu proper film until august of next year so there's like there's a substantial gap there 10 plus months ish maybe nine months of a gap and then there's an even bigger gap as as you keep going to get well you get to the thunderbolts and then you know with the avengers being pushed out a couple years it seems like this idea of of quality over quantity is coming back. 
and spreading these out, making these event style of viewings again, building the anticipation with all of this. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called Creativity Inc. It's about the story of the creation of Pixar. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter inside of it called Feeding the Beast, I think it's called. And it goes into a discussion about Disney animation in off the heels of of Aladdin and their success with Lion King and all that, that essentially because they're so successful in that time, they grew to this enormous department and it became less about creating quality animated films and more about feeding this deadline and feeding this release beast. Mm-hmm. And so they just started pumping stuff out and inevitably your quality dipped. And it took them like 15 years to crawl out of that, that hole where everything dipped. I can't remember what the last one was out, but it's a really great explanation inside of this book about this concept of feeding the beast and how your quality dips just to match all these release dates. And Marvel's fallen into that state where they're trying to hit all this stuff and then you layer in all the Disney Plus stuff and it's just, it's become too much. And you've seen them really ratchet things back, push everything out. And I think this is broad acknowledgement, at least in this genre, that there's too much and the quality isn't there anymore. And we need to refocus and get people reinvested in these properties. For sure, yeah. And I think also that rushing, you know, rushing to get stuff out, it does have a big effect on the, the creatives, like the people mm-hmm. who are making these movies. Like they're just not really coming out with with stories that are that are kind of unique and different. And it's, you know, Pixar's a really good example of that. You know, you've got these really great movies, you go back, you know, several years and and how every movie was very unique and very kind of stood mm-hmm. out and was was kind of standalone. And now you're getting movies such as Elementals, which looks great, but it looks very much like something like an, mm-hmm. an Inside Out. Um, so I think, you know, even with the, the MCU stuff, like a lot of the stories just feel like they're kind of rehashed stories. They're stories that we're yeah. seeing over and over again. Uh, then you got the DC stuff, which is, uh, you know, Marvel just beating them to it every single time. So every time someone mm-hmm. sees a DC movie, it's like, oh, we saw that like, last week in yeah. a Marvel movie. So it's just like just not having that those kind of breaks and kind of rush, rushing to pump stuff out. Like it's you're kind of limited with the stories that you can play with. And it's getting to a point where you're just seeing a lot of kind of repetition. And it's mm-hmm. I, I think it's definitely having an impact on people's you know, investment and how they see these movies. And you take something like, you know, into the Spider-Verse and across Spider-Verse, and that's like a five-year gap between those those two movies. Yeah, huge. And, you could- and like, you, when you look at that movie, the original debuted at $35 million and this new one, $120 million. But yeah, but it gave they gave that first movie time yeah. for people to see it and actually fall in love with it. Connect, and yes. Connect with invest. it. And then they like also with the the new movie like you can tell they've actually put in this time and effort they've made a multiverse movie which is unlike any multiverse movie you know they've created a story which is original which is nothing like we've seen in the MCU and the DC movies and i think you know taking that time taking that break even you could say that with the, with the top gun you know top gun took in what how many years between those you took in mm-hmm. decades um and people love these characters and they do want to see them again. And that could bring bring people back as long as you have that quality and you put in that time and that effort rather than just pumping something out to just get on, on the big screen to try and make some some money, I guess. Yeah. Avoid feeding the beast. So like realistically, as we kind of wrap this section up, like the, the way that, you know, as we've talked through things, quality, which is kind of a catch all for like good story and good CGI and 
you know, good character progression, development, and all that. It's kind of a bit of a catch-all. So quality, audience investment is a big thing, as you brought up, and also giving space and time between these movies for people to to soak this up, to saturate, for it to to penetrate further into the GA. And then I guess that will kind of, that's a kind of a, it bleeds into the investment of these characters as well. And so you need to give people breathing room inside of some of this, like those Star Wars movies, original Star Wars movies, three years between those movies. And it it, kind of gives time for this to, to hit and move and grab that momentum and people to revisit these things. Like people look back on phase one, two, and three so fondly in the MCU. You go back and watch some of those movies. And even at the time, they're kind of like mediocrely received, but like some of those movies now are held like a, a massive standard, but they've had a decade for people to like look back on them almost, almost in a nostalgic way at this point. And like that, that goes to show that that time and investment is an important factor in continuing to get people to come back and see these movies. Yeah. Um, and even, even the stuff that's high, like really good quality, like you look at something like the Mandalorian, how crazy people were about, mm-hmm. you know, after the first season of that and how it was just like appointment viewing for everybody, everybody stayed up to watch that mm-hmm. show. And then it just became you the book of Boba Fett and you Andor, and you get all these things. And then when Mando season three comes out, everyone's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll watch it when, I'll get to when, it when I get, I get when to I it. get to it. And it's great. It's absolutely fantastic. But it's just the fact that We've had we got so much so much of these things whereas mm-hmm. you go back to the the movies and they take these big gaps and then these movies come out and it's just such, such a huge event yeah. um you know even something that the last jedi people went to see people hated it and yet everybody still rushed to see it just because yeah. you know because people invested in these characters because there was that big space of time between these movies and because the critics actually loved those movies so you probably were seeing higher mm-hmm. um you know cinema scores or or uh, rotten tomato scores too yeah yeah and like we're like in that and the idea of like this indulgence or the thank you next culture that we live in like the, unfortunately they're the studios are playing into that a lot more like you get the biggest box office domestic of all time is the force awakens like there's a huge gap between 2005 and like 10 year gap there and you go back to 1999 with the phantom menace another massive milestone in the box office but people had to wait you know well over a decade for that and so space between these things you know as much as at a time we were like yeah give me everything i want to see the next marvel movie you know that mentality is is really got to start to shift because yeah. we're even suffering from that in like places like we're, let's head over to disney plus now and talk about secret invasion like we've already had like disney plus has only been alive for like three years and we've had like what 10 plus mcu shows or something to that effect like i don't even know but it just it just feels like a lot. And like this idea of secret invasion that just dropped last week. Like I'm so I love this story in the comic books. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, my anticipation for it, me trying to get you hyped for it. And now that it's here, there's almost as far as I can see in in our Twitter circles and all that, where a lot of our conversations are, there's not a lot of people talking about this movie Dude, show. Nobody like, you don't even know even, it came out. <laughs> I don't think anybody I don't think I've seen a single person on Twitter talk about it. And it's really weird. I was mm-hmm. just like, why has nobody even mentioned this? No one's even said they didn't like it. You know, no, no one's like even no spoilers or like there's like no one had an opinion on it or nothing, which is yeah. very rare, in, especially in like kind of the, the circles that we run. Someone's always got an opinion about a movie or a show or whatever. I've not and like maybe I'm not looking in the right spots or maybe the fact that I haven't been you know hitting the hashtag the algorithm isn't pumping things towards me no there's something there dude like i can't really like i was trying to think about this today what's causing that because even like 
you know, I talk about my wife in the in the past, and she kind of got into the MCU stuff, and she kind of binge watched all these shows, and she's really mm. into it. And even now, with the when the shows come out, she has been watching these shows, and she hasn't even mentioned Secret Invasion. I said to her the other day, you know, there's a new Marvel show out, Secret Invasion. And she ah, oh. and that was it. It's like she hasn't even put in any effort to see what it is. I don't know if it's just hasn't been promoted as, as much or if it's the, the theme of the, the show or if it's just the case that we have too much to watch at the moment, that it's just it's just not on anybody's priority list. I think that's it. But let's let's talk about Secret Invasion. You know, we've both consumed the first episode. It was quite long, actually. It's about 50 minutes or so long. Um, actually, there is a few things I did see about Secret Invasion. Everyone's pissed off that AI did the uh, opening credits. <laughs> so that's the only feedback I've seen on, on The funny thing Invasion. was, I watched a review of it. Actually, it was, it was, it was people, after I watched it, it was a reaction video and these guys watch it. These guys, real rejects. And they're really, they're good guys. They, you know, they've got some really good informed opinions and stuff. And then they, uh, when that came on, they were like, oh, this art is really great. Like, it's really cool. I really like this. And the one guy is, is there and he's like, I hope, I really hope, you know, real artists made this and not, AI, it wasn't AI generated. And it's kind of like that was prior to it actually being announced mm-hmm. that this was all AI. And it's just, it just shows how it's just such a big topic yeah. now. I mean, even mm-hmm. in my job now, it's like every, every week I'm getting emails about this. And now even the Japanese government are now looking at ways to enforce laws to prevent AI being used in certain uh, really. industries in certain areas. And, you know, that I'm even being asked to change the way I teach change the way i kind of mark things just because mm-hmm. ai is doing everything for everybody now um That's insane. That's so insane. i can i can understand why people are concerned especially oh, yeah. with the writer's strike as well but it was interesting after they said why they went that way and it does make a lot of sense That's why the did reason. they go that way i didn't hear the, the so the the reason they went with the eyes it's to it's basically you know to represent what's happening in secret invasion the fact that mm. you know this ai this intelligence exists among us amongst us but like we can't see it and we don't know it's there yeah. so this art's mm. there being the scrolls basically like they're in the background we can't see them we don't know it's not real because it looks real but it's kind of hidden and i don't know if they came up with that idea someone someone to, someone bat yeah to save their themselves way into or that. if that was <laughs> if that was it's, it was kind of like a mushieti talking about the special effects it's like uh, yeah. i don't know about that yeah, <laughs> i don't know if that is, is the that case, true if it is if it is then that's actually pretty clever but it, it was, it was <laughs> nice nice retcon there but well, episode 1 here what 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 do you think of this you know i hyped the story up um, we framed it as tonally much more like the Winter Soldier, a bit more of a political thriller, a bit more cerebral, a bit uh, at arm's reach from some of the previous stuff like Miss Marvel or She-Hulk or even Hawkeye. Like it's very different than all those shows tonally. And you know, we got characters in here we're familiar with, like uh, Agent Ross. We've got Nick Fury, of course, Maria Hill. And we've got Talos, the Skrull, played by Ben mm-hmm. Mendelsohn, who we saw in Captain Marvel. And so we've got a lot of, you know, quite established MCU characters. More on that, quote-unquote, S.H.I.E.L.D. side of, of things. But it, I, I'm, I'm interested in your opinion here first, and, and then I'll give mine. Yeah, for me, I'm kind of on the fence with this one, because I think 
to be honest, like I watched it the first time I watched it was I got home after work and I was kind of excited to see it and I fell asleep part way into it, which is you know never a good sign. But actually, when mm-hmm. I went back and watched it, I probably was just a bit tired and I just think maybe it was because I was expecting it to be a bit more quick, you know, faster paced. Um, you take something like the Winter Soldier and there are those scenes in there kind of you know speeds things up a bit and you get the action in there uh and this one was a lot slower than i was expecting um but like i i enjoyed it like i i think what it is i just needed more mm-hmm. and i think i'm going to like it a lot more as it progresses yeah um i just think with that first episode it was a little bit lackluster i like the feel you know i like the kind of darker slightly more mm-hmm. gritty side of it uh, the problem is that you know there are a lot of TV shows, there are a lot of other shows out there, you know that kind of spy espionage kind of style TV shows that are darker, that are grittier, mm-hmm. that are very cleverly written. And if I'm going to compare it to those, it might not be on the same kind of level. Um, you know, it depends which way are you going to go full, you know, dark, or are you going to try and go MCU style and they're kind of trying to mix mix the two together yeah. uh, and I think that sometimes hurt it a little bit because the the parts I liked the most were just when the characters were just talking you know when mm. people were just talking about things and you know Nick Fury Samuel Jackson I could just listen to him forever like just him you know explaining things and talking about things and just seeing how you know this the situation is affecting him and you got some really great characters in there really great actors like um I forgot her name last week, Olivia Coleman. Like she was actually great in it. And again, she's not playing any major character. Uh, that was a, a bit, weird scene. Yeah, she's a bit like a what was his name? Um uh in Winter Soldier, uh Redford. Like that yeah. kind of character where like it's a big star that you bring in and they don't play such a huge role. Um, but they're kind of an interesting character. And even that conversation between the two of them, I just liked seeing them bouncing off one another. Did uh, um, sorry sorry to saturate that is shot really weird. I was almost certain they weren't in the same room together. Oh really? And if you go back and watch the camera angles on that, and there's like some, it's it sticks out. There's two weird cap like there's that scene, and there's a scene when Everett Ross is like pushing his way through the crowd when he's running away from the one guy. But the though there's that whole scene. Go back and rewatch it. It's very oddly shot. Like I was I like they it, are yeah. not in the room together. Or it was reshot for some reason. I would not be surprised, man, because Olivia Coleman is in absolutely everything these days. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure she's busy, man. Like she's in every single movie and TV show. I think she's just like out to win every Oscar possible. Right. And she, like she's the the one that's like in the red dress, right? In the room and like they the, yeah, yeah. they bagged him. Yeah, okay, okay. Just yeah, yeah. The right. yeah. That scene. Yeah. Go back and rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to watch I'll rewatch it. But it's just like I mean, like I, I really love her as an actress. Like I've I used to watch her like on British TV shows, like these kind of small time dramas mm-hmm. when, when I was younger. Um, so I've, you know, seen her kind of rise to success and it's just great seeing her having a conversation with Samuel L. Jackson in, in the show. Uh, and there's some other ones. I mean, like what's her name? Um, uh, Amelia Clark, uh, Amelia Clark is the name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She's, okay. I mean, even seeing her in this is, is great. She's, you know, got a lot of charisma. She's very likable. Um, but same time, you can kind of believe her as as being tough, but at the same time being a character that you'll kind of get a little bit more invested in. 
So I think for me, that was the highlight of the show, just seeing certain characters and their conversations and their motivations. But as an actual episode, I found it quite slow paced. I didn't really feel the, any, the stakes, even though they're huge. I didn't ever feel yeah. any concern for what was going on. And then how it ended was like a massive surprise. And it wasn't a surprise in a good way for me. It was like a, it was, while it was supposed to be an emotional, you know, thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we're talking spoilers here, but like, yeah, yeah. full spoilers, yeah, guys. Full spoilers. So like the the death at the end with um with Agent Hill, like she's like I was so glad that she came back, and I love seeing her in the past stuff and the fact that she's got this bigger role, and like for her to take her out, I'm just worried that they that they did that to add stakes to add a motivation just for Samuel Jackson rather than it being because it just didn't feel like an earned death to me like I felt like she should have we I want to see more of her like I don't want her to die I'd rather her progress and nobody die and then the story continue rather than her death be something that motivates Fury to come back because I think it's quite a big loss to lose her in that first episode and the, I mean, the nature of the show, there's a good chance she's not dead. Who knows? Yeah, um, I think she's but... she's proper dead. Like, like you said, I think it's that is a lot about establishing stakes. And it I think that they're essentially they brought her and Martin Freeman in and Don Cheadle makes a, a brief appearance, right? Like they're trying to make sure that, you know, what universe we're sitting in. But then they move a lot of pieces off the board very quickly to establish stakes and also to get Sam Fury on his own again. And so in doing so, they've sacrificed a character that's been around since Avengers. So since 2012, so a character that people know. And so I I understand the objective there, but I agree that we probably could have used another episode or two because although we do have an established connection between Agent Hill and, and Sam Jackson, we haven't spent a lot of screen time with that, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. to establish that, like, is it a mentor mentee? Is it a father daughter? Is it like a call? You know what I mean? Like we need a little bit more time there. And I, I think it was a little bit of a miss. I agree because the idea of the skull transformation, all that is, is I think well established in the show, but the, the fact that he quickly turned into fury and it wasn't a more intimate moment when she died, it was kind of like a snap. You miss it. It, it just all happened so fast and there wasn't enough time to like establish that connection that you're supposed to be like, Oh shit. Like yeah. Marie Hill well, just I mean, died. We, and we always see them two together in all of the past stuff, right? Even in, yeah. you know, far from home and stuff like, but just, it's always like they're walking and talking, right? No, like, that's what I mean. Like we have it. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, I mean, she's a character that everybody wants to see more of. And we've been mm-hmm. hearing that for, for years. Every time we see her, people want to see more of this character of her and people, people seem to like her. People seem to have some connection with her to a degree. Um, so I think, you know, when, she, when we got introduced to her meeting Samuel Jackson in that first episode and they kind of hug each other. I'm like, oh, this is it, man. Like we're going to actually get these two working together. It's going to be something where they're going to build on. We're going to have this, we're going to the chess game too. Like, yeah, we're like, let's get a little bit more of that in like the chess game. We're being honest with each other, right? Let's see Fury be vulnerable with Maria Hill in those very brief moments. Did Maria Hill, did she know that Fury wasn't Fury in, uh no way far from home far from home what's the one 
wasn't she a scroll too in that oh dude don't don't know because I, I i remember the only reason we knew that samuel jackson was was that was let introduced later right that he was a scroll so if she yeah, was well, a scroll in that as well <laughs> okay I'm i don't confused. i don't remember if they both do because i remember for years i was saying maria hill's a scroll maria hill's a scroll i've been saying that for years and then i remember at the end of cap was it at the end of captain marvel like or no far from home they do the the switch but i can't remember if I think his wife was Maria Hill in that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so we're going to have to look this up. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I know that like, we found out from Spider-Man that Samuel Jackson was. Yeah, his, it's, yeah it's Talos' wife is Maria Hill. In, I don't know where she is, but they both turn in that movie to scrolls. Like, they're both in the car together. And like oh. we learned that now that his wife has died and all that so yeah so there's something funny there but like there i think also where this might potentially could suffer is that this feels like this was being set up for a movie because it was teased in far from home it was teased in captain marvel i believe Mm. and fury where is he that he's ends up in the spaceship like what's the end of that i can't remember what movie that's even that was like a that was an end credit scene uh, maybe after it was after something. <laughs> yeah, can't I remember. remember anyway, but like they, they've been planting this this for a while, this concept, and it like I've always said that these these shows potentially suffer when they go from movie a movie script, and then they try to take that movie script and stretch it out to be three, four, five times as long, so it fits inside of the box of a six to eight episode arc on TV. You know, I think we we saw that with some of the Star Wars stuff. I think the book of Boba Fett suffers from that. And, you know, when you look at some of these things, it's like when they're truly written as TV shows, they excel. And when they're not, they, they don't as much. And so, but, but for me in, in this one, secret invasion, you know, I liked the start of it. I liked the concept of it. I liked where we went with it. I thought that I agree that it's a little slow, but I do forgive it a little bit because it had a lot of work to do to establish, you know, where the scrolls are at, what their capabilities are for new audiences, where Sam Jackson has been, what the state of the world is, what the kind of power dynamic is, who's Talos, what's his family doing. And I like that, that she's his daughter and there's going to be some interesting dynamic there. So there's a lot of work to do here. They didn't have the benefit of coming off the back of something. These are this, most of this stuff has been seeded inside of end credit scenes and of course we had the captain marvel stuff but that was in 2019 like four or five years ago when when all that so there there is a bit of a gap here and so they had some work to do at the start i like the tone that they established i'm, I'm excited for what comes next i think the death of maria hill was a bit of a miss on the emotional end of things because it felt like it just kind of happened in the midst of all these other explosions so did ross ross is not the real one then he's no so presumably that. he's captured somewhere in one of those like machines, right? Okay. That would be my guess. So like, I don't know what that means for Wakanda forever. Like, was he captured after that? And, yeah. and I like, didn't know. I didn't really understand that if they were implying that he was always a scroll. And I, I mean, that can't, I think be, it that was can't like, be the case, I guess. Cause no, I think if he got scanned, he got, yeah, he got injured and he was scanned in like black Panther, the first one. So there's no way they would have noticed. So no, there's... and I think like it's probably implying like like 
they used him or they captured him or whatever because he was just in what was he just in well he was because well, he went forever. he, he went rogue in wakanda forever so yeah, he's all the he side was... missions in that movie <laughs> to set up thunderbolts yeah. so he'll be in, presumably in thunderbolts at some point but i'm guessing that he probably gets freed but it was kind of just a way in and i think it's an established face it's a guy you trust a guy you're supposed to trust he goes into this turns out he's actually a scroll um, yeah so I, I think it, it sets a good enough foundation for what the show can potentially be and these different skull facts, scroll factions, you know, cause I think Captain Marvel turned that whole concept on his head when it said like, actually the scrolls are good guys on this one. And I like that they've kind of pivoted this and made them the villains again, as they are in the comic. Well, books. Funny, yeah, they were, so they were already there, right? Or what? No. So I'm they're saying the scrolls not... first came to earth in 30 years ago. So it would have been in the Miss Marvel, the 90s, uh, Captain Marvel, Miss Captain Marvel. Yeah. And that they've, I guess they've been slowly populating and growing inside of this like new Skrullos that they have established and that they've kind of got undercover. And my guess that there's like splinter organizations that have gone out and they've spent 30 years breeding and, you know, have adding soldiers to the, to the fray and all that kind of stuff. And so there's this like underground movement. I don't think there's been like a substantial like immigration of scrolls from the galaxy onto earth. Maybe there has been, but it seems like it's been kind of more of an organic growth on earth and them saying like, no, actually we kind of really like it here. It's time for us to have this. Yeah. It'd be interesting so. to see this one actually play out. Cause like, you know, a lot more um, about this, the story. Cause it's only, I think it's only like six episodes long. Right. Yeah. And as you said, they're quite long, they're quite long episodes. So it'd be kind of like having maybe three, three movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it makes me wonder like how, cause I'm that's, I think that's again, as I said, I kind of need more cause I think I do have that intrigue because I just don't understand how there is any possible way of fixing this problem. Like yeah. the thing with the scrolls is they they can always exist and you'd never know that they're, it's not like yeah, exactly. there's like some antidote that's going to get rid of them all. Like there's, there are always going to be scrolls and it's, is Fury's job to just bring down the main villain in this episode? in this show or is it for him to stop the whole kind of school organization you know is it him trying to implement some law or some way of detecting scrolls like i don't know what the what the end game is of this one and it'd be interesting to see how they play that out because will that feed into anything else after this i really hope it does and like we we chronicled that before that i'm hoping this this is just an establishment of like oh shit there's a scroll problem and then it's like, actually, it's so much bigger than this. Like there's superheroes that are like Doctor Strange is a scroll and all this kind of stuff, right? Like that's that's how you level this thing up is you start taking superheroes and saying, nope, like it's not just people. It is or politicians or whatever. It's actually, you know, people with powers. It's Wanda. It's whomever, right? And in that, that's how you get to like your Avengers scale threat. So the schools via- can actually have powers? They can't. They can't become. They can, they can mimic anything, right? They can so mimic. like, okay, yeah, like. Or... So I guess that's why they. But I was thinking that's why they brought in um, Cheeto um, Rhodey. Is that his name? His yeah. his character just because you know he's a character that you could see being a scroll um, because he's human. Like you know, yeah. he's well, and, and, and he's someone of of power. I guess they may establish their rules differently inside of this universe. But like Spider Woman was a scroll, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. And like there are wow. superheroes that are scrolls. And then you get the super scroll in there that's like 
a a mixture of like all the Fantastic Four powers into like that was created to defeat the Fantastic Four. So he's he can stretch and he's got like the rock arm and all this kind of stuff, right? Wow. Do the invisibility and, and flame stuff and all that. So it's 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 like the scroll stuff is fascinating. Like if you really dig into the lore of it all and the Kree Scroll War would be an awesome movie to do. But again, how much broad appeal is that? I guess we'll see how the how the show uh um how it performs and how it goes on. We'll keep kind of our finger on the pulse in this one as we go through. If something significant happens, we'll bring it up and then we'll probably wrap it up um as we get to the end of the six weeks. But you know, we're running up on time here. One thing that I, I just we can talk about. Um, okay, I'm going to give you a choice here. You know, well, actually, we have to talk about this because I said it in the title. But let's quickly talk about Craven the Hunter. Uh, mm-hmm. The trailer that dropped, it's the next Sony movie to exist inside of the Sony extended universe of Marvel superheroes or whatever it's called. It uh, They dropped the trailer. It's got Aaron Taylor Johnson playing Craven the Hunter, who is a, a character that is a great hunter, traditionally hunting Spider-Man, and it's a Spider-Man rogues gallery villain. Uh, but he's off here on his own doing his own thing, got his own origin story. This film, I'll see you on Netflix. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I don't know, man. It was weird. I had a really weird experience with that trailer because I was watching it and I thought, this is stupid. Like, when the lion blood falls into his blood and it's like yeah. that makes him lion-powered, I'm like, what is that? It's like, is that some ra- radioactive lion? Like, this is not, that's just a lion, right? And then something happened where I actually really enjoyed the trailer. Like, I actually thought it looked really fun. And it kind of, I got some kind of Morbius vibes, just how he's like jumping around and stuff. And the fact that he's, again, he's like the anti-hero. You know, he's going after these bad guys. But I don't know what it is. I think um, the actor's name, Aaron, what's his name? Aaron Taylor Johnson. Quicksilver. Also. Quicksilver, I think he's like I really like him in like anything I've seen him in. Uh, I think there's some images of him as Craven, and he does look the part. Yeah, he looks great. Um, and I don't know. I got a. F- I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of a flop. I don't think it's gonna be a great movie. But I just have a little bit of a feeling that it probably will be more fun than it's gonna be better than the Morbius. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually liked by a lot of people because i think it, it just doesn't try to be too serious it is just a really fun looking mm. um a movie but yeah again like it's it doesn't seem i don't know where this is actually going because we already know of all the venoms and the morbius stuff and you know how terrible the the post the end credit scene of of uh, morbius was and if they are actually building up to these kind of this rogue gallery, these these villains for Spider Man. Because if that's the case, you know, I don't think, I think that's the same case as the DCEU stuff. Like nobody cares about that anymore, and no one really wants to see that play out. We want to start anew, start fresh. So I'm like you, like I probably will. I don't know, man. I'm gonna wait. I'll wait to see how how it gets reviewed. I'll see what audiences say. I haven't seen Across the Spider Verse in the theaters. Like if I see this, then. I don't know. Like, oh, and, you may, maybe I'm being a bit harsh <laughs> on it from like the like. To be honest with you, I never have a problem. Like when I saw the first Morbius trailer, when I saw like trailers are two minutes of a film, and mm. I've always said if you can't show me something that looks half-ass intriguing from two minutes of your two-hour film or with two yeah. minutes of your two-hour film, then your two-hour film is never going to be interesting. So 
I, I'm being harsh on it because of, I guess, prior experience with Morbius. I didn't no, even right, find, like, so. Morbius wasn't right. phenomenal, but it wasn't like, like, you throw it in the trash like it was garbage. Like, these You're movies me just have When Morbius came out, I I actually really liked that trailer too. Well, I thought it was, I thought it looked cool. Trailer, so yeah. Like, it looked, it yeah. looked fine. Like, it maybe maybe it's like, oh, a lion guy, oh, a bat guy, oh, like, you know what I mean? Like, a Spider-Man, then... Now, and there's a rhino in this trail. You know what I mean? Like the rhino appears in this as well. Yeah. I think for me and as well, like I just really want the Sony stuff to work. Like, I, you know, I really do want it to work because, you know, I want Madame Wem to be great. I want, you know, because just, just because how great Spider-Verse is. So I do want that side of things because, mm-hmm. you know, it is disconnected from the the MCU stuff and it's it feels a little bit more kind of comic booky and it does feel a little bit more like the spot we're playing with the Spider-Man universe so I have that kind of a bit bit of a draw to it and I do want it to be successful but I don't really have any any faith in it actually coming out as being anything fantastic yeah well it, it almost goes towards this conversation that we had at the start if I can bring it back to that with regards to this like quantity over quality I'm not saying like, like it's hard to judge because we haven't seen a frame. Of the, well, we've seen frames, but we haven't seen this like film. But I almost feel like, okay, like if we want to do a proper connected Spider-Man universe, like step back and do it properly. Like you have this like phenomenal blueprint in the animation style on on how you could potentially do something that is like wildly successful. And now whether or not Sony is bound with some sort of handcuffs with regards to live action Spider-Man because of the deal that they have with the, with Marvel studios, they can't have concurrent Spider-Man in live action on screen or whatever, but it feels like that they're just, they're starting and saying like, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And we'll see if it works. And if the fans respond to it, we'll make a second one or what have you, or build this where, it's almost like I think the GA and the fan base is now saying like, no, like this whole like throw it at the wall and see what sticks approach probably isn't going to work long term. So why not sit back and think about this a bit, maybe skippy, skip a couple of years of Sony Marvel movies, really hash this thing out. So like, yeah. I think like this, this will be a great, if I'm going to be completely and somewhat pessimistic on this, this will be a great, Tuesday night when my family's out doing something in November, watch on Netflix for me, or you know what I mean? Like, like that, that's yeah. what it feels like. Unfortunately, like I'll watch it eventually, but that's, it just, there's nothing intriguing about this to me. Um, yeah. Except for that one scene where interesting. in the bush and all the spiders are falling on him and he's like, Whoa, Spider-Man. Yeah. That's kind of what I get. Yeah. Like, it'd be interesting that. to see how they go the direction. Like, like we were talking earlier, about you know even the state of the the future dcu it just makes me wonder how like i think you brought a a good point the the contracts that they've got with these characters as well they have certain time limits and they've got to make the Mm. most of those characters in the the amount of time that they have i guess um and going back to like the pixar stuff you know when you make all that money it's just like let's pump out these movies and just keep making money off them and that seems to be the kind of mindset a lot these businesses are having but now that there's they're losing money you know, now the Flash has lost like 200 million at least, you know, these maybe they're going to start thinking, you know, maybe we can't keep doing this. Like we can't mm-hmm. just pump these things out. And I guess Craven was kind of at that weird stage where like they'd already started 
production. They'd already announced it. You know, they'd already cast it. And I guess they had yeah. to finish it off. But it makes me wonder, next, I don't know, like, will they start slowing things down? Um, or are they going to just keep with this strange mentality of just pump these out and just have all these box office crashes? Yeah, well, like the the feed the beast concept from that Pixar book, it, it does it does delve into like the details of like as you know as you grow and are more successful, then your your marketing department grows, this department grows, this department grows, and then you get pressure on the production people from all these things that grew because of the production people, because of the creatives, are now putting pressure the other way. Well, we need more stuff. We need more stuff to promote. We need more stuff to do this with. We need more stuff to merchandise. And so like at some point, the the direction changes backwards. And it's like, no, we need to make this because we need to the marketing. We need to do the merchandising. We need to do this, this. And you lose that sense of, of nucleating these ideas organically and, and producing movies at the pace of, of the creative. And now mm-hmm. you're doing it at the pace of the marketing department and the merchandising department and this department and that because they've grown so big. And so it's and like, you have, this all these, like a, you have all these jobs that you have to kind of you got to give people work as well. Right. Yeah. It's you like... got to feed you got to feed this <laughs> giant beast that's being created out of the success of the creatives and the production department that is now like cannibalizing that department to get more and more stuff out to keep these people busy, to keep these departments going, to keep this like machine rolling forward. And unfortunately, when it's like, no, you have eight months to make a film. Well, you're going to get a film's quality that you put eight months of effort into, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not like, I'm not a creative, I'm not a director, I'm not a, a a writer or anything like that, a VFX guy or anything. And so, like, I'm not trying to like impose an idea or saying you can't do it in this amount of time or whatever. But you know, like, all of us have seen deadlines, and when we have. 50% of the time to do 100% of the job, you get 50% of the results. You know what I yeah. mean? Or, or the well, It's like what so. came out of the Spider-Verse stuff. Like even though they had quite a lot of time and they had their delays, like the like they, the is the um the artists have come out about that they complained, haven't they? Saying that they had to do like seven hour, you know, 11 hour working days, seven days a week. And, mm-hmm. you know, how hunt, like sort of like 100 artists dropped out because of working conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean that the quality is clearly there for that. Like I, I forgot her name, but like one of the, the top Amy Sony, Pascal, um, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. She came out and says, oh, you know, this is what making, it's making a movie. Like you can't, we have deadlines and we have to do these things and that's how, it, how it works. And I think it's the same in most creative industries. I have a friend who's like a comic book, um, artist and, you know, he said like that have the quiet period and there's nothing, but actually when they're making and they have to get a book out. Like it's they they have beds in their office. They have to they basically wow. you know they go to sleep in their office. They wake up and they keep working and they work as long as they can until they're tired and then they take a nap and then and it's just during those intervals like mm-hmm. the, they have to meet those deadlines. So yeah, when you got such a massive company and you got so many people, you've got to start creating stuff for for these people. As you said, you got to feed all these different these different departments mm-hmm. and. Uh, even then, like, you know, people feel overworked. So just shows. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Well, man, I think we're going to have to put a pin in it for this week. We do have a Superman story that we're not going to get to, but maybe we'll pick that up. Maybe we'll try to source a Superman expert to bring into the fold here, potentially for next week. We'll see how this story evolves. Looks like James Gunn's found his Superman and Lois 
for Super Mario. No, like no Emamaki, boo. Yeah, well, we'll get there. We'll give you, we'll, Ian will give his opinion and elaborate on that. Uh, I'm that only sour, joking. Sour, sour. I'm joking. <laughs> sour, I actually, I actually like the there. casting, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. So gives us some a little more. And of course, we'll have a, a few more things to talk about. I think Carlos and I will check out Indiana Jones this weekend from the Dial of Destiny, uh, Indy 5, Indy 5. So I actually, I actually did a rewatch. I did a rewatch this week. I, I haven't watched Temple of, not Temple of the I haven't watched, uh, what's the Crystal Skull yet? But uh, getting excited, man. It's Friday. Yeah, right? Last Crusade is so good, man. It's like one of my favorite movies. I love uh, that dude, movie. I don't think you can beat that one. It's you like, know, I actually, think it's the best one. Yeah, I actually like Temple of Doom more than Lost Ark, and I think I think a lot of people like Lost Ark the best. I something about Temple of Doom. I think I just gotta like India, but just something about Temple of Doom. I just like the songs and the aesthetic and the, the heart. The heart sh- thing terrifies Short round, yeah. short round, and short round's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but maybe maybe we'll chat a bit about that next week. I don't think when's it come out in Japan? Friday. Yeah, it's at Friday. Oh, it does come out Friday. So you're gonna check it out this weekend. Week. Yeah. Okay, this maybe weekend. we'll chat about that next week too. Nice. I'm about to sneeze here, guys, and I'm going to try to hold this in and get through the rest of the episode. <laughs> so <laughs> we thank you guys for coming back here every single Thursday and listening to The Nerd Room. We're having a ton of fun getting back into sort of the consistency or consistent release schedule here and talking about all the stuff that we love here, including Secret Invasion, the MCU, DCU, whatever. If you got an opinion about what we talked about this week, you can hit us up on Twitter or toss an email to thenerdroom.com. And uh, yeah, Ian, man, man, I always love getting behind the mics. You're always always walk out of Tuesday to work and I'm like exhausted. I'm bang. I'm like, oh man, I got a podcast. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I get to podcast. I get to chat with Ian, talk some nerd. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy some of the enthusiasm and the fun here and you get to enjoy decompressing with us over the last hour and 10 minutes or so. So Ian, my friend, all of that being said, thank you to all the listeners out there. And uh, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. And I'm Ian. And thank you guys so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net and the Nerd Room YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room.